Hey, guess what, housing gang? It's, <laughs> it's actually been a great week for housing in housing news, housing funding news. Can you guess why? Um, I don't know. Have you just got given some money to buy a house? <laughs> <laughs> like, very specifically, it's been absolutely great for me. <laughs> Suckers. Um, no, uh, 369 million pounds of taxpayers' money to do up the Queen's house. Oh, so, you know, course, yeah. priorities. Every, every when are we moving in? <laughs> Do you know how much we're going to be spending on doing up the MPs' homes in terms of Houses of Parliament? It's something like a few billion quid, which sounds like a lot. 3.9 billion quid, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we could just put the Houses of Parliament in Hull, mm. which would cost 40p. I love you, Hull. <laughs> and the other fun fact is that this all comes at the same time. Thank you very much, Private Eye, for all of this great information. Um, 40%. Oh, oh, no, I ruined it. How many, <laughs> how much percent of houses did uh, Shelter estimate do not reach acceptable living standards? I think it was actually 42%. 40, this is 40% here. I'll go with 42% because you're the expert. Um, so, yeah, mixed bag but at least the queen gets a good night's sleep. Mm. Take back control has been the slogan of the year. Don't worry, we'll take our country back very soon. But what does it really mean? Take back control. So it's episode four of our special six-part series of the weekly economics podcast. My name is Kirsty Styles, and this is really Take Control. This is just not a tenable situation anymore, and I think that's become clearer, not just to sort of the housing geeks and the kind of activists of the world. This week, how can we really take control of housing and the places that we live? Uh, I'm joined by Alice Martin, who's a researcher here at the New Economics Foundation. Hello again, Alice. Hello. Long time no see. Uh, I'm also joined by Seb Clear, who's a representative of St Anne's Redevelopment Trust, which is a local campaign for a new community land trust in North London. Seb, I just said a load of words that nobody <laughs> knows what they mean. Give us, give us an introduction. What are you trying to do in North London? Well, we're a group of residents in the London Borough of Haringey who are looking to build permanently affordable housing on a public site in the middle of the borough. Um, and this came about really after many years of campaigning on that hospital site. Uh, when it became clear it was being sold for housing with only 13% at affordable levels, and of course that definition of affordability being suspect, we were sort of outraged as a community and wanted to put forward an alternative to that. So we've come together, bringing together people from sort of across the borough to actually look at putting in a bid that will reflect the needs of the community and actually build homes that people can afford to live in sort of for decades to come. That sounds like a wonderful project. So uh, we've uh, been hearing the phrase housing crisis for years, almost to the point where you wonder how long we can all call this a crisis before the whole thing just starts crumbling around at our feet. Um, have we lost control of housing in the UK, Alice? Um, I'd, I'd say yes. Um, and, but I also just want to mention that the idea of a housing crisis going on forever is a really weird thing. And I think it becomes a bit abstract sometimes. And really what we're talking about here is the fact that a lot of people can't afford to live in housing that, that is suitable. A lot of people are homeless. Um, for all the people that are homeless, there are many more who are living week in, week out without any security. And that, that is really what the crisis is. And, and, and 
yeah, it's depressing and, and worrying to think that it can go on this long. Um, and maybe there's a, there's a different word for it. But but yeah, it's it's not an abstract thing. It's, it's something that people are actually living through day in, day out. So perhaps an affordability crisis, uh, Seb, you mentioned the uh, notion of affordable housing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, in, in the London context anyway, in the last sort of decade, we had this new notion of affordability, which was up to 80% of the market rent. And of course, the market can sort of go up forever, potentially. And so the idea that that actually reflect people's needs and was actually affordable for most people in London was, you know, just clearly removed from reality. Um, I mean, the other thing I think to say is this affordability crisis, it's always hit some people. It's been, you know, if you're on low wages and in, you know, in a low income household, you've always struggled with housing for many years, but now it's affecting more and more people. And of course, the other factor that comes out of that is as you uh, as there are less and less homes that you can afford to live in you're forced into sort of smaller homes forced to accept poorer conditions and forced to sort of live in homes that just aren't suitable for your circumstances so it's not just about the rent that you pay but about actually your quality of life going forward okay but over 60 percent of people in the uk actually own their own homes uh, and uh, many politicians have have uh, stood on the uh um, in Parliament and said that we want to be a nation of homeowners. Um, do you th- is it just renters uh, who are in trouble? Um, no, I, I think actually we should probably take note of the fact that half of those 60% that own their own homes will actually be mortgage owners, really. So a lot of them, particularly people who have only recently got on this uh, elusive housing ladder, they'll actually probably be paying off their mortgages right up until their pensioners. You know, they'll be withdrawing their pension and paying their mortgage at the same time. So I think it's important we don't give the impression that homeowners are all secure. A lot are, but but a lot aren't as well. This kind of dream of, of a nation of homeownership I think that there's been definitely the final nail in the coffin for that. We've actually got the lowest levels of homeownership that we've had in 30 years. So it's failing by its own measure, really. The plan to kind of allow more people access to, to homeownership hasn't, hasn't worked. And what we've got um, as a result is massive housing inequality. Yeah, I mean, at start, I mean, a lot of us are private renters, which essentially means you face uh, annual rent rises, potential eviction each year. And actually a a quite complicated and onerous system in order to enforce your landlord uh, into obeying the law. Uh, But actually there's a a wide range of people um, involved in our community land trust. A lot of them are homeowners, but what they see for sort of their children and their children's children is a future with, you know, absolute housing uncertainty and instability. And that's why they want to make sure that we're actually building permanently affordable and stable homes for people. And, and so we can see that this isn't just, you know, an issue for generation rent in the abstract, these sort of 20-somethings who can't afford to buy now. It's actually something that's affected everyone. And if you speak to most people, it's, it's pretty common sense. They want, when they see new homes being built, they want them to be available and accessible to everyone in the community. And, th- and they don't want them to create a kind of subsection within our area that most people can't afford to sort of go to. So... You know, it, it does affect everyone and um, even homeowners, particularly where we live, are, are really looking to get involved in this. So I, th- I think that's all to the good, to be honest. OK, so who then do you think is in control of housing in the UK? Um, well, I've got a, a scary stat. <laughs> well, and just before this, um, Seb and I made a list of who we thought might be in control of housing here. And uh, we came up with landowners, landlords, politicians, 
the banks. And just a stat on landowners, Britain has the second highest concentration of land ownership in the world, um, which means that 0.36% of the population actually own two thirds of the land here in Britain. Um, who, who are those people? Is it, British land is a big one, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't personally know who they are. I wish I did. <laughs> just kidding. But I think, yeah, the, the broader point really there is that there's a there's a massive inequality of of um, ownership and, and control going on in terms of land and also increasingly in terms of actual housing as well. You know, we have people owning multiple homes now when you have other people living in overcrowded rented homes. So I always wondered whether it's just that some people have more than one house and that's the problem. Is that the problem? <laughs> If you wanted to be to sort of really fundamentally reform the way that housing works in this country, you could start to look at ways that financially penalise pe- people who own multiple homes, and I think we'd be absolutely supportive of that. But I think in in the short term, until we actually create a kind of political movement that can actually achieve that, what we need to be making sure is that. Uh, the homes that are built really are accessible to people and aren't just sort of sold off to the highest bidder and aren't just part of housing tenure that's only available to the sort of top 10% in society and stop the kind of uh, use of housing as this asset class that people could speculate on um, and start to think about it again as something that's a social need, everyone needs to live somewhere. And I think just the other thing to say about sort of housing control is, I think in London particularly for a long time we've sort of seen that uh, it is the big developers who are coming in, sort of flexing their muscles and saying to local authorities, if you want any homes built here at all, you're going to have to listen to us. And that means a real lack of affordable housing. And, you know, that's sort of whitewashing the needs and desires of the people who live there already or are living in London and want to make it their home there. And as sort of local authorities are our, our elected representatives, we should be pushing them to be a lot stronger on this. And that's sort of where the idea of Start came about as well. We want to create an atmosphere in the London borough of Haringey whereby the community really is showing what it needs from housing and is really taking that step of control there rather than just sort of leaving it to sort of faceless business interests to sort of say what housing will be built where in, in the borough. Excellent. And so you that you've alluded to politicians there. What about uh, banks in this control piece? Are they a big part of the... Um, yeah, well, going back to that that kind of, you know, the dream of having a nation of homeowners, um, banks have really cashed in on that dream while other people have, have lost out. Um, you know, we've, we've done quite a bit of work here at the New Economics Foundation on the relationship between the kind of bloated finance sector that we've got in Britain um, and its relationship to the housing crisis and the fact that the more money going into homes has pushed up prices whilst we've not had sufficient genuinely affordable homes being built so there's a kind of broken market broken market unstable system boom bust you know we've seen it before it's going to happen again um the banks are doing all right off it um and other people are losing out okay so we've all heard politicians saying that the solution uh, to this problem is just to build more homes i lived in london for five years and i certainly heard many politicians say that and i'm not sure that they ever um met the targets that they set themselves um the chancellor philip hammond has just announced 1.4 billion pounds of government money for affordable homes in the autumn statement problem solved well, I think, you know, as you alluded to, the sort of supply answer has been bandied about in sort of the mainstream discussions around housing for a long time now. And I mean, actually, if you start to unpick it, you can quite quickly see it's sort of false. Um, if, you're, if you're only building luxury flats 
in the centre of London. You could actually build quite a lot of those and it would really do nothing for most people who can't afford to access them. Um, so that's one point. I mean, secondly, to actually affect the market in a way that would bring sort of long-term stability in terms of rents and house prices simply through supply, you'd be looking at many decades before you'd see any sort of change. So what does that say to the people who are currently privately renting or looking to, to buy? It's sort of writing off a couple of decades of their lives in terms of affordability. And, and you know, what we would argue for is that you actually need a much stronger intervention both from the community and from the state in terms of actually ensuring the standards of kind of good conditions, affordability, stability. If you just leave it to the market, what you're going to see is naturally people trying to sort of make the biggest buck off of the homes that they sell and those who do own them cashing in on them with, without really taking their responsibilities seriously. And, and I guess that that sort of leads to the third point I'd just make, which is in terms of when people talk about supply, they never really talk about actually who gets to buy those homes. And when you've got a completely unequal sort of housing market in terms of who can actually access mortgages and who's already got sort of capital and sort of skin in the game, you see that all the time buy-to-let landlords are sort of outbidding first-time buyers in terms of buying new homes. And, and that what that creates is just greater housing inequality. Um, so absolutely, housing like supply is is not just the answer. Okay. Um, so if supply isn't the answer, then Alice, uh, how do we really take control uh, of housing in the UK? Uh, Seb's given us a couple a couple of suggestions. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I think you know talking about simply building more homes um, is something that is a bit frustrating when uh, on the other hand we're actually selling off all of the public land that we have on which we could potentially build those homes so I'd say the way we should take control of how we do housing is first of all stop giving away control by selling off land um, to developers who are notoriously slow at building on that land not because they're just sort of lazy and inefficient <laughs> but because it's actually profitable for them to just sit on sites and you know, speculate, wait for the value of that site to go up and work out how they can kind of maximise their profits by building, you know, high value homes on the site, that kind of thing. So we need to basically stop doing that and keep the land for ourselves and work out what homes we actually need where and who's who's going to live in them. So that's public land in terms of local authority land, but it's also um, Ministry of Defence land, Ministry of Justice land, NHS land is now being sold off across the country. And the first step is to stop that. Okay, so um, as, as, as you mentioned, local authorities and other public bodies selling off land in order to balance the books. How do you think you make a case to them to get them to stop doing that, um, you know, in the long, if it's better for people in the long term? Yeah, I mean, I think you can actually make an economic argument as well. So it's not just a case of, oh, you can either have money for this or you can do the good thing and let some people have some affordable homes. It's once you've sold that land, you're going to get a one-off cash receipt for it. It might sound like loads of money. It probably is loads of money, millions, billions of pounds, particularly if you're in London. Over the long term, if you kept that land in some sort of public or non-profit ownership and actually had homes on it that people were paying rents for, then over a number of years, you would actually be bringing in an income from those rents. So we did a bit of work looking at just 10 of the public land sites that are being sold off in England and found that if you kept the land public didn't sell it and built 100% affordable homes on the sites those homes would be income generating after 20 years so it's actually a no-brainer I'd say you know fix the housing crisis and have an income in the future or just get like a one-off 
big hit of money now. And what would we, how, how would we define affordable in that setting? Do, do you guys look at it in a different way? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of rejected the term that's being, or the, the way affordable is being used now, which is completely based on the market, like just making homes a bit, a little bit cheaper than what the market would otherwise make them. And we base affordability on local incomes. So the way that council homes and social housing, uh, the rents are set according to local incomes. We think that should be happening more and more. Okay, well, this all feels uh, very David and, and Goliath, uh, as you mentioned, but, you know, big bank interests, big uh, developer interests. Seb, do you think that the little community housing projects like your the one that you're uh, working on at the moment can really beat the big uh, housing developers? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> just to start with. I mean, first of all, it's not little, actually. It's an 800 home site. So actually, in terms of community land trust um, provision, this is looking at sort of upping the ante in terms of what we mean by community housing. Um, I think the first thing to say is, you know, we've got very strong support of, but from the community. We've done a lot of outreach. We've had many public sessions that actually genuinely look, looked to hear what people want to see on the site. So it's not just a few kind of housing activists in the area saying this is what we need. It's actually based on on, on local residents. There's, there's strength in that. We're, we're relatively organised. They know that if they try and just push through the original planning permission with 13% affordable housing, there will be strong local opposition. And we've actually got the ability to sort of stand up against that. And also, you know, pe- people are starting to recognise that there really is a disconnect between what sort of developers say and, and, and what is really needed. And it's got to a point now where we can't just hope for a few scraps from their table. We really need to sort of stand up and say, this is our community and this is what we're going to do to it. I mean, in Tottenham, you've got some of the highest levels of child poverty and unemployment in the country. And yet they're talking about building on NHS land with 13% affordable, in quotes, housing. This is just not a tenable situation anymore. And I think that's become clearer, not just to sort of the housing geeks and the kind of activists of the world, but actually just to any sort of normal resident in North London. And I think as that sort of support grows, there's more people actually willing to put their time and energy into really organising a movement that sort of looks to the future and ensures that we have a new sort of vision for housing going forward. like it. So taking that housing geekery mainstream. (laughs) Alice, what do you think? I think that the more projects like the one Seb is involved in are inevitably going to spring up and I think we need to be doing more to support them. We need to be vocally supporting them. We need to be speaking to our local authorities and local politicians about land in our area and actually drawing attention to the fact that, you know, on the at the end of your road, there might be a site that is being sold off and, and people don't even know about it. So I think we've all got a, a part to play there. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's, there's cool things happening across the country as well, dealing with this. Some of you might have heard of the St. Ives Neighbourhood Plan, where a group of residents have basically come together and opposed second homes being built in, in the area. So any new builds now in, in that area have to be built for local residents. And that was that was done because they were seeing this kind of awful situation where everyone loves going on holiday to St Ives and very wealthy people were coming and buying lovely holiday homes there and, and local people couldn't afford to live there. And local residents actually stood up against that and have, have changed that now. So we need more more of this kind of action. But you know, people can't do it alone. You need politicians, you need laws to be changed, you need finance, you need structural changes. But I think this will hopefully catalyse more of those structural changes to, to happen. Excellent. And FYI, in the north, you can get yourself a two-bedroom house for £100,000. So if anybody's looking, you're welcome to join me. 
thank you so much uh, Seb great work on what you guys are doing sounds absolutely fantastic and I'm sure listeners uh, will be interested in, in lending their support to what you're doing or potentially doing something similar wherever they are Alice as always pleasure thanks thanks, thanks so much. much cheers we'll be back next Monday for the fifth and penultimate episode of our Really Take Control mini-series. I'll be joined by another pair of friendly experts to talk about how we can really take control. See you then. So gang, you've made it this far, uh, and if you like what you've heard and want others to hear it too, please send it to a friend, uh, leave us a cheeky review on iTunes, and at the very least, please give us some stars. We'll be back at the same time next week. (laughs) 